welcome to the Carolina Snowflakes podcast, where two Southerners come to terms with their liberal snowflake tendencies. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda. And I'm Jason. And we are here with episode number 20 of the Carolina Snowflakes podcast. We're calling this one WTF Classic Rock. It is our 20th episode, so that's pretty freaking sweet. We wanted to celebrate that a little bit because... Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Tell them why. Well, the reason is because the majority of new podcasts stop at the 10 episode mark. Mm -hmm. So we have passed the majority of podcasts. Doubly. Doubly. Woo! Woo! Billy Ray said we did everything half-assed twice and half or whatever, but we actually do double. We do it. We do double. So that's pretty cool. We're happy to celebrate that. And we were thinking, what's a good way to celebrate? And usually, we'll be putting on some classic rock. Yeah, if you're going to throw a party, you might as well turn on the classic rock station. Some classic rock tunes <laughs> in your ear holes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you could you listen to some Pink Floyd or some ACDC. Yeah! And, you know, that would get you all amped. And then we were thinking about classic rock. Uh, we realized that, like, it's, like, everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Yeah. yeah. It seems like you can't go anywhere without hearing classic rock being played in, like, waiting rooms mm-hmm. or, like, when you go take your car to the mechanic. It's always, if there's a mechanic garage, yeah. a it's garage of any, any kind, it's classic rock that's mm-hmm. being played. I even went to a doctor one time <laughs> who, like, while examining me, yeah. I won't go into details, but while examining me, <laughs> Had classic rock playing on it was the like, girls, girls, yeah, and girls. I was like, this. And they is... hit your knee with the little <laughs> little thing. I was like, this is forward. this is awkward. Yeah, carry on. Once beaten, twice shy, baby. <laughs> and you're like, this is awkward. I don't want to have a doctor looking up my nose while I'm hearing cherry pie from Warren. She's my cherry pie. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. But for whatever reason, that's like considered. It's totally a thing. I've noticed, I've worked at a lot of uh, different places. Like, I've worked in kitchens and uh, places where I do more technical work. And it's always the, considered the socially acceptable music. Like, it there's is. a radio. Yeah. We have to put something on. It's classic rock. Yeah, and if you're, like, if you're not working for one of those places that has, like, the corporate radio built in. Oh, yeah, that's usually then, pop. Yeah, then it's up to the business owner or management or mm. wherever to to decide what to play and it always inevitably is classic rock and it's like why is that is it because it's just less offensive it you would think that but (laughs) a little bit of research will tell you that that isn't it yeah we got to talking about it and we were like no some of that music's pretty darn offensive (laughs) yeah it's really really very blatant but mostly we were just like what even is classic rock yeah what what constitutes a rock of classic? Exactly, because when I think of classic rock, a lot of things come to my brain. Uh, Sticks and Journey and Queen and yeah. Aerosmith. And, and I think we all kind of have our preconceived notions as to what it is or what it isn't. But I went I went digging. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is this? What? Oh, you, you wanted to really find I out. Really I really did. I wanted awesome. to know because I kind of thought I knew. But as it turns out, I was not correct. And I don't think you are. Probably and not. And I don't think most people are when they think about what is classic rock. You know, I can say this. My whole life, that was the main background music of my growing up, like as a kid. It was what my dad listened to all the time. Yeah. So I grew up with classic rock being played constantly. So I thought that was just regular music. <laughs> right. I thought for some reason, but now when, now knowing what I know, it's kind of funny, but I just thought it was a genre. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just is like classic rock. You know, it's like a genre of rock music. Okay, yeah. So like it could come out today and you could call right. it classic rock. Okay. But as it okay, so the thing is that that's not the case. Yeah, I don't it's think not so. a genre. It's not a period of time. Yeah, I wouldn't think that either. Um, it's none of those things. And mm. in fact, no band sets out to be classic rock. Yeah, I don't think you do. No. Nobody's like, I'm going to be a classic rock. rock band. Yeah, when Rush got together, they weren't thinking they were going to end up classic rock. No, not at they all. They were progressive. Right. But, yeah. but they do end up there. Hmm. So there's this really fascinating article you can find online on 538 by Walter Hickey. Okay. He's a writer. He took a deep dive back in 2014 trying to understand more about classic rock after he was listening to a classic rock station and they played a Green Day song. Huh. And, and he like, was like, wait. Excuse me? What? Yeah, they Green do that. Green Day? That's uh-huh. not classic rock. It's from the 90s. Right. But as it turns out, what uh, what defines or what constitutes classic rock basically boils down to just purely algorithms and data. Hmm. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So this guy Hickey gathered song data for 25 classic rock stations in 30 U.S. cities for one week in June 2014. Mm-hmm. And there were 2,230 unique songs played by 475 artists during that one week. And what he found is that classic rock is more than just an era or like a period in time, and that it's heavily influenced by location. Okay. And even immigration. What? Yeah. It's really fascinating stuff. What does that mean? So, okay, I'll tell you. So, for example, New York plays a disproportionate amount of Billy Joel. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I got it. They love him. They love Billy Joel. But if you turn on the classic rock station in San Antonio, Texas, you're not going to hear Billy Joel. Yeah. You're going to hear Motley Crue. He found that classic rock stations in Los Angeles play five times more Pearl Jam than any other station around the country, despite the fact that Pearl Jam is a popular band from the 90s. Yeah, definitely from the 90s. That is interesting. Right. Meanwhile, stations in Boston play 70s era Almond Brothers, like basically nonstop. Yeah. Well, okay. He was like, what is this? Yeah, that's fascinating. So there's like no consistency no. here. And location seems to be really relevant and important. So it seems to be classic rock is, I guess, some sort of like whatever region you were in that was popular for a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot to it. There's like multiple layers and facets, and That's it's all it's all math. That's it's literally like algorithms and math and data huh. that they collect. So I would have never guessed that. He went even deeper. Oh yeah, well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> nerd out? Yeah, and he reached out to a guy named. Eric Wellman, who is the classic rock brand manager for Clear Channel. And Clear Channel owns a ton of radio stations. Okay. And Wellman said that the year of release is only a fraction of what factors into song choices. And in (laughs) fact, most stations are using nothing but data to make selections. Things like surveys, market studies things like that, that determine what listeners in a region want to hear. Hmm. So like if everyone surveyed in a particular region loves R.E.M., guess what? R.E.M. is now classic rock. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. So it's very interesting to think that the the people of the region, like what they spend their money on is essentially what you're saying dictates 
Well, yeah, it's what they of, it's what they like. It's what they gravitate towards. Right. So there might be um like a component of privilege happening there too, where only the people who have the money and the means to be counted are the ones whose voices count towards what people want to hear. Yeah, to and a degree. Yeah, it helps keep marginalized people marginalized because they can't hear the music that they want to hear. It's also interesting. So not only do they use like the surveys and the the market research where they actually go talk to real people. Now that we're in like the era of computers and right. technology, they use crawlers. They use web crawlers huh. to crawl through posts and blogs and commentary wow. and comments and gather data on what people are saying related to music. And they'll use that to then formulate a playlist. So it's like self-reinforcing too. What you call classic rock gets fed into what gets called classic rock like infinitely. It's like this weird crazy loop of right loop of rock right and here's an interesting point um cities where rock stations have um longer legacies like like the cities themselves have longer legacies and histories like detroit okay or philadelphia tend to prefer older styles of classic rock whereas cities without the long history and the long legacy prefer like more contemporary styles huh interesting huh wow yeah and it's all, and it's gone are the days, gone are the days of like the DJ selecting the song yeah, in place. Yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't touch anymore. it at all. Yeah. And the Wellman guy said like, if they even tried to, they'd be fired on yeah, the I'm spot. sure. He's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, no, no. They don't make the selection. Nerds decide what gets played. Well, computers basically yeah. are what decides what gets played. In his gathering of of song data and information, he put together a list of the top 25 played classic rock songs across all the stations combined. And if you want to see that, I'm going to put a link at the bottom of the description for this podcast, but I am going to tell you the top five. Okay. So number one across all stations was Dream On by Aerosmith. Oh, all right. <laughs> number two, Sweet Emotion by Aerosmith. All right. Number three, All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Number four, You Shook Me All Night Long, ACDC. Uh-huh. And number five, More Than a Feeling, Boston. Well, out of those choices, that one's my favorite, but... Well, it's just interesting. And that also, the region stuff... Is, yeah, that's fascinating. It's super, super important. So var- what he noticed was that variance occurred in region and location-specific areas in the U.S. Southern states tend to prefer or favor harder rock yeah. as compared to the Northeast or the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Hispanic influence across the southern states is partly why you're more likely to hear the harder rock in the South, too. That's so like immigration literally has affected that what's played on classic a, rock stations. A lot. That explains why I like harder rock. I grew up listening to classic rock stations in the South. So I, I was attracted to the hard rock, which is pretty cool. Yeah, but it's like it's partly, yes. And it's partly why, for example, you're more likely to hear Kiss or yeah. Motley Crue, mm-hmm. for example, when you're listening to a classic rock station in the South. Or Black Sabbath. Or Black Sabbath, yes. Zeppelin, too. And there's also even hyper-specific trends based on location. So, for example, like I mentioned a minute ago, New York loves some Billy Joel. Yeah. Well, if you go down south into Miami, you'll also hear a ton of Billy Joel. That's because the Florida people and the New York people are the same people. That's right. Because New York retirees Mm -hmm. go to Miami 
and they want to hear their music. So if you go to Jersey, does it like every other song is Springsteen? Is that the way that yeah. that works? Actually, yeah. Yeah, I would guess. <laughs> like there, there's information about that. So as far as the regions go in the U.S., we have the West Coast, the Northeast, the Midwest, and the South. And so, for example, on the West Coast, three of the more popular bands that they play on classic rock are Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and Steppenwolf. Hell yeah. Nice. In the Northeast, it's the Almond Brothers, R.E.M., and Billy Joel. Mm. In the Midwest, it's the Jay Giles Band, Metallica, and Brian Adams. <laughs> wow, okay. And in the South, it's Motley Crue, Kiss, and Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> okay, interesting. That's yeah. fascinating. Isn't that so crazy? It how, is. It's like, pretty crazy. Where you live completely yeah and it's weird that the mixture seems really strange because it's like in the midwest they like metallica which i can understand but they also like brian adams and that dude's canadian and i don't really their softer side well i mean the midwest goes all the way all the way up to canada border so maybe they're the ones that prefer the brian adams they're like yes that's what we're talking about but maybe the ones closer to like Texas prefer the Metallica. This is what we're talking about. Talking about. Yeah. And then in Texas, we're like, hell yeah, Metallica. But isn't that just so interesting cool. how you kind of take for granted what you're hearing on these classic stations mm-hmm. and you're like, I guess that's universal. Oh, contraire. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's not it really is universal. Not universal. There isn't really a definition of classic rock. No, it's really honestly just um, algorithms. It's that's so just weird. numbers and data being crunched. And it's not even about like, how old the music is i mean obviously nirvana and pearl jam are older than say like new stuff but not compared to like your 70s Jimi hendrix right. like i would contend though there's a lot of uh privilege and whiteness in it i see that uh just in general yeah just based on like what we call classic rock is predominantly um done by white people right um and that's pretty obvious but there are you know there's your Jimi hendrix that you know live yeah, in color but and... in a way it's kind of i guess it's music for white people by white people. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like woo. well i mean it's it's so uh everywhere it's so ubiquitous though everybody knows it it's not like if i started singing um you know, hooked on a feeling. Mm-hmm. People, people know that song no matter where you go. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's just interesting to me how your location mm-hmm. and how much people like a certain band or a certain song influences what's being played on the classic rock station. Yeah. Huh. Fascinating. Fascinating. Huh? Yeah. And the reason that we even began this conversation wasn't even about that so much it was more about like does anybody ever really listen to this uh, yeah because i'll tell you w- where i grew up in the south listen to classic rock stations you know what we heard a lot of a whole lot of a little band called leonard skinner oh yes you may have heard of leonard skinner. i have not only heard of leonard skinner leonard skinner was the first band that i saw in concert like my very first concert That's was awesome. leonard wow Skinnerd. well i don't know if it's awesome but it's, yeah it's, it's, it was interesting. um it was an event so i did some research into leonard skinner and some of their songs then i'd like to share that with you please they were formed in Jacksonville, Florida, keep that in mind, mm-hmm. by Ronnie Van Sant, and their original name was My Backyard, and around 1964 is when he formed the band. They were He was like in middle school or whatever, and after a while, five years later, they changed their name to Leonard Skinnerd because they their name, My Backyard, was stupid, <laughs> and... Um, the name was a mockery of the P.E. teacher that he had, Leonard Skinner, at Robert E. Lee High School. So oh, wow. we've got uh, indications of where this is going right off the bat. Yeah, okay. He's born in Florida. 
He's going to Robert E. Lee High School, and he made his band name a joke off of his PE teacher. Then, obviously, you know, the spelling's all weird for Leonard Skinner. Uh-huh. It's L-Y-N-Y-R-D-S-K-Y-N-Y-R-D mm-hmm. instead of the way you would think it would be spelled. Um, And he did that partially to disguise it, and eventually he ended up having a good relationship with Skinner. And he, Skinner oh, the actually, PE teacher? Yeah, and Skinner <laughs> actually introduced him and the band at several events. Okay. So I guess they ended up mending their relationship. So he's like, I am Leonard, mm-hmm. Leonard Skinner, yeah. and this is Leonard, Leonard Skinner. Exactly. Okay. So they ended up being cool, um, but it gives you an indication. Like I said, the Robert E. Lee thing just sort of overshadows this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, their first album was in 1973, and they produced an album every year for a couple of years. 73 was a big year for mm. what we currently think of as classic rock. Oh, yes. That was the the Pink Floyd year. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a lot of music that came out that year. And including the very first Leonard Skinner album. Uh, by 77, Ronnie Van Sant was killed in an airplane crash that injured a lot of people and killed him. Mm-hmm. Um in 87, they reformed with Johnny Van Sant, his uh, brother, as the singer, and they were, last I checked, still torn around with him. Yeah, that would have been who I saw mm-hmm. in concert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you saw him with Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, so the songs that I'm going to talk about were written way back when. These are... These are uh, you know, Ronnie Van Sant songs before he died in his plane crash. Um, I think maybe his brother was a little bit more PC later on, although they did sport the Confederate flag just sort of willy-nilly. Yeah, well, they had to appeal to their mm-hmm. followers. So the first song that comes to my mind about Leonard Skinner that no one ever talks about, mm-hmm. but everyone knows, is a little song called What's Your Name? Yo, yes. You know the you know the song? I know that song. They play it like all the time, like in bars you go to. What's your name? Little girl. You hear it in yeah. mechanic shops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, listen to the lyrics to this song. Just, just just sort of close your eyes and go with me on a journey. Okay. Ooh, journey. I like journey. Yeah. Well, it's eight o'clock in Boise, Idaho. I'll find my limo driver. Mr. Take us to the show. I've done some plans for later tonight. I'll find a little queen and I know I'll treat her right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay. What's your name, little girl? What's your name? Shooting you straight, little girl. Won't you do the same? Back at the hotel, <laughs> Lord, we got such a mess. It seems that one of the crew had to go out with the guests. Oh, yes. Well, the police say we can't drink in the bar. What a shame. Won't you come upstairs, girl, and have a drink of champagne? Mm. So apparently the hotel's a mess. Yeah. Uh, so they go to the bar, uh-huh. but they won't let them drink in the bar, presumably because it's a little fucking girl. <laughs> and he thinks yeah. that's a shame. So why don't you come upstairs to the messy hotel and we'll just drink champagne? Yeah. Which I think oh. champagne's actually just liquor. Yeah, right. probably, yeah. probably. I assume. They had, Jim to Beam. It, they had to make it rhyme. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nine o'clock the next day and I'm ready to go. I got 600 miles to ride to do one more show. Oh, no. Can I get you a taxi home? It sure was grand. When I come back next year, I want to see you again. Maybe she'll be 18 by then. Yeah. Yeah. And then he won't want her anymore. Is <laughs> yeah, the, is he'll be like, ew, you're too old. Ew. Gross. <laughs> ew. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So that, if you can't tell, that song is incredibly rapey yeah, and weird and, and so gross. So just d- demeaning towards women, like little girl. Uh-huh. Let me just call you a little girl. Even this, if, even if we give the benefit of the doubt that this was like a grown woman. But it says police said we can't drink in the bar. Why would the... I'm... Because the first assumption is that she's just not old enough. Right. She's not of legal age of drinking. <laughs> or maybe he's given her black eyes. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's clear that he's a domestic abuser. Either way, he's a piece of shit. And he just yeah. leaves her and he's like, sorry. He's like, you want me to get you like a yeah. bus or something? It kind of leads into the, yeah, here's, there's cab fare on the nightstand. Yeah. And, and it kind of leads into this like free bird <laughs> thing of him being like, yeah, I'm sorry if you got attached, but I just got a roll. Yeah, like, that's I'm just kind of like how a I bird. am. I can't be pinned down. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying I don't like these songs, but I am kind of saying Ronnie Van Sant was kind of a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm saying. So I might get some hate for this, but whatever. I, I, this next one's going to be even better because you know this song. You, this song is Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, yes. So the, the, the first bit of it's just about how they love Alabama, which I would like to point out. They were formed in Jacksonville, Florida. Right. They're not even from Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama apparently has three people who wrote the song. Ronnie, this dude, Ed, and this other guy. Uh-huh. And uh, all three of them were from Jacksonville, Florida. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's mm-hmm. they're singing about how they love being from Alabama. That's the first part of right. it. Okay, Sweet that's... Home Alabama. Maybe it was like right. not their home. But then there's the lyrics. In, in Birmingham, they love the governor. Boo, boo, boo. Oh, yeah. Now we all did what we could do. Now, Watergate does not bother me. Does your conscience bother you? Tell the truth. Okay, wait a minute. (laughs) You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So (laughs) there are people that argue that it says since he's saying boo, 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 it's boo to the governor. By the way, the governor being George Wallace, an incredibly racist asshole who put Martin Luther King Jr. in jail. That George Mm -hmm. Wallace. Right. Uh, But he's saying they love him in Alabama, and he's saying that he loves Alabama. So I imagine the boos were from the Yankees and it says now we all did what we could do meaning they voted for Wallace because they thought he was the shit now Watergate doesn't bother me because like yeah it's just what happens in politics yeah and, you know, it's who corrupt. cares? it's politics it happens yeah Nixon you know what are you gonna do and then he says does your conscience bother you tell the truth meaning like you guys are corrupt too you Yankees so mm-hmm. don't who you are have you a to judge yeah that's what I'm gathering from that uh-huh. Uh, but people have people will swear up and down that it's a protest song against the governor, but it's not. They're lying. Just huh. read the words. Mm-hmm. And and I have proof of that also. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So there's another part of the song where he says, well, I heard Mr. Young sing about her. Well, I heard old Neil put her down. I hope Neil Young will remember a Southern man don't want him around anyhow. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that uh, he wrote Sweet Home Alabama as an answer to two songs by Neil Young, Southern Man and Alabama, which dealt with themes of racism and slavery in the American South. Mm-hmm. So Neil Young wrote songs being like, I don't know, it's kind of fucked up. We had slaves and we were super racist. Mm-hmm. And Ronnie Van Sant was like, nah, fuck that. I'm going to talk about how the governor of Alabama is the tits. Right. He, um, was, he was arguing back of like, don't you come mm-hmm. in here judging this dirty South. Right. We're proud of it. Yeah. So... If this was a protest song against the governor, why would he have digs against Neil Young in it at the beginning? He wouldn't. Of it? He'd be like, that Neil Young was on to something. Right. Uh high five. Exactly. <laughs> that's my point. Right. So that song is fucked up. And then here I have a really interesting <laughs> thing. So Ed King, one of the writers of the song, he talked about it a little bit in an interview in 2009. And he said, I can understand where the boo, boo, boo could be misunderstood. It's not us saying boo. It's what the Southern man hears the Northern man say every time the Southern man would say, in Birmingham, we love the governor. Yeah. Get it? Boo, boo, boo. Uh-huh. We all did what we could do to get Wallace elected. It's not a popular opinion, but Wallace stood for the average white guy in the South. Yeah. Woo, white people. Watergate does not bother me because that stuff happens in politics. But someone's conscience ought to bother them for what happened to Wallace. 
Arthur Brimmer may or may not have been a Yankee, but he sure destroyed whatever chance Wallace had to be president, and hardly anyone in America noticed. Hmm. Now, just as a side note, the person he's talking about, Arthur Brimmer, Brimmer was the man who attempted to assassinate George Wallace and shot him and left him paralyzed from the waist down. He wasn't from the North, though. He wasn't a Yankee. So he was actually a Republican, but we'll not even worry about all that. (laughs) Um, I still like the plaque that hangs here in my office that I'm an honorary member of the Alabama State Militia, signed personally by George Wallace. Wow. Yeah, so it's, I mean, come on, people. That's the dude who wrote the fucking song. Come on, people. Like, it clearly is a, like, white Mm -hmm. supremacist-esque anthem. And can we not just, are we going to just keep pretending like that song isn't what it is? Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I, there's tons of proof that it is exactly what it seems like it is. Right. It's the Southern white man's F.U. Mm-hmm. to Yankees and to anybody that tells them what they're doing is wrong. It's catchy, too, though. It is very catchy. I'm not saying it's not catchy. Yeah. And I'm not saying I won't ever listen to it again. I probably will. But yeah. I'll think about what I'm hearing yeah, maybe it next is, time. It's a pretty fucked up song. And uh, especially the other one. Just remember, he's talking about a little, a little girl. Explicitly a little girl. Uh, yeah, a little girl. But I feel bad. I feel bad that I just shit all over Leonard Skinner for a while. Like, they're the only offenders of this. Which they're definitely not. So just to make it a little bit fair, mm-hmm. I'm going to read some lyrics from uh, the Rolling Stones. We're going across the pond. Oh, nice. Um, Some, some Rolling Stones lyrics. So this was written by Mick Jagger, and he has said on several occasions he was on so much drugs he doesn't know what the fuck he was on about when he wrote this song. Uh-huh. Okay, so it's a song called Brown Sugar. It was a very popular song in the 70s. Gold Coast slave ship bound for cotton fields, sold in a market down in New Orleans. Scarred old sky dog slaver knows he's doing all right. Hear him whip women just around midnight. Brown sugar, how come you taste so good? Brown sugar, just like a young girl should. Oh my God. (laughs) Drums beating, cold English blood runs hot. Lady of the house wondering when it's going to stop. Houseboy knows that he's doing all right. You should have heard him just around midnight. Brown sugar, how come you taste so good now? Brown sugar, just like a young girl should now. What is happening? All right, I bet your mama was a tent show queen and all of her boyfriends were sweet 16. I'm no schoolboy, but I know what I like. You should have heard me just around midnight. Brown sugar, how come you taste so good, baby? My goodness. What in the world is he on about in that song? That's not all of it, but yeah, the end he says, yeah, 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 woo. How come you, how come you taste so good? Yeah, 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 just like a black girl should. Yeah, 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 woo. So it changes from young girl just to straight up black girl. Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. Um, it says the lyrical subject matter has often been embroiled in, in, in controversy. It's popularity and, you know, overshadowed its lyrics, which are essentially just a group of taboo subjects, including slavery, rape, sadomasochism, lost virginity, and heroin. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, and that's a song that, you know, got played all over the radio and people just were fine with it. Yeah, like, turn it up. It's like, you. what is he even talking about? It just seems like slavery and masochism and... All the bad things. And he's British, so what is yeah. even happening? <laughs> what are you doing, Mick? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, so there you go. And that was a popular song. How interesting. So it's not just uh it's not just it's not just Leonard Skinner. No, no, and it's not just those three either. Yeah, it's not just the seventies. Yeah. I would like to go back to a guy named John Burnett who wrote a song called Your Sweet Sixteen, You're Beautiful and You're Mine. Oh, okay. In nineteen sixty. This is a nineteen sixty, it's an older white dude on a piano and he says, you come on like a dream, peaches and cream, like strawberry wine. You're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine. You're all ribbons and curls. Ooh, what a girl. Eyes that sparkle and shine. You're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine. Mm. 
wow, that one's super gross. Yeah. And that was in the 1960. Ew. And he's blatantly, yeah. And <laughs> that's gross. I feel dirty. Yeah, well, you're about to <laughs> feel a little dirtier because Brian Adams. <laughs> oh, no, not Brian Adams. Brian Adams, the Canadian. Uh, he, he wrote a song called Summer of 69. You may be familiar with I, the song. Yeah, I know that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, keep in mind that Brian Adams was born in 1959. So um, in the summer of 1969, he was 10. He would have been 10 years old. So that song could have been about him driving around banging girls and doing whatever weird shit he was doing in the song <laughs> uh, when he was 10. That doesn't make any sense. Right. So it's really funny. It says, in reality, Adam's clean living image has helped him disguise one of the most blatant innuendos of modern rock. The 69 in question does not refer to the year 1969, but to the sexual position. Adams has announced as much from stage and even appears to sing Me and My Baby in a 69 during the song's outro. Yeah, he's like, let's just be blatant with it. And people are still like, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He said, the song is a bit autobiographical, but it's really about summer love. In my case, being a musician, I love the songs Night Moves by Bob Seger, which is about getting laid in the summer. And I always wanted to write an answer to that. There's a huge misconception that the song is about 1969, but it's not. The reason I chose 69 is because of the sexual position. Yeah, so he's just like, at least he's honest. Yeah, Brian Adams was just straight up like, (laughs) you guys, I was 10. This song is totally about sex. Yeah. And how much I like it. And 69. <laughs> and everybody's like, it's about 1969. Yeah, and he's I like, know. Mm. no, it never was. <laughs> and you guys are stupid. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's great. That is pretty great. I kind of handed it to Brian Adams. It's like an early troll. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, I like a lot of these songs. So I'm not trying to say that the music is bad. No. And I don't think. Either of us are saying that the, the music itself is bad or that we're going to boycott classic <laughs> rock or anything yeah. like that. I think I just find it ironic, I guess, that you have all these songs that are put together into this onto a station based on popularity. Mm-hmm. So it's what people like listening That's to. That's what people want to listen to. And it's often put on in places or settings like workplaces mm-hmm. or shops, etc., because it's thought that it's least offensive. Yeah, and it's my like, point... well, everybody likes this stuff. We'll just play that so nobody gets uncomfortable. And it's right. like, but have you ever really listened exactly. to it? Exactly. <laughs> that sort of was my whole argument about this, is mm-hmm. that like I'm fam- familiar that a lot of people who love Leonard Skinner and think that it's great, they also would think that the song Rape Me by Nirvana was too offensive because right. it just it's has just, the yeah, word rape. Highly offensive. But if you were to read the lyrics to Rape Me, you would gather that the song is not about somebody raping somebody. It's about being used by somebody it's in a relationship. being taken advantage of by friends or acquaintances. And you can pretty easily pick that up from the context of the song. Mm-hmm. But since they're blatantly using the word rape, it's offensive. Then it's too offensive. But to write a song where you're just basically describing raping a young girl, but you never say that's what it is, then it's catchy and acceptable. Then it's like, oh, I love that song. Yeah, and that pisses me off as somebody who, you know... I don't know. I, I like Nirvana, and I, I, I don't understand the, the hypocrisy that we have here. Mm-hmm. And you may be familiar with the little song called WAP, which yeah. they caught a lot of heat, and that was bullshit because rappers have been rapping about their dicks since the 80s. They've been rapping about lady parts, too, since right. the 80s. But so, we have a woman do it, and it's like, oh, no. Yeah, and just to be clear, I don't like that song, but damn, <laughs> don't get onto her about right. rapping about that. Right, when... but you couldn't. they wouldn't play that on the radio at, I know. The, at the shop because that's too controversial. Because it's too controversial. And uncomfortable. For a woman to talk but about then her they'll, own But they'll put on, pussy. what's your name, little girl. Right. And it's like, yeah, turn yeah, it up. That's fine. Let's talk about a dude 
trying to pick up a little girl. That's cool. Yeah, or the Sweet Home Alabama. But heaven like, forbid a lady sing about her vagina. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a <laughs> fucked up world that we live in. And I, it is. So it made me ask the question, what the fuck, uh, classic rock? Like, WTF, man. It made us both question. And that ends the WTF classic rock segment. But we have a super special mic check minute this time. Wiki, wiki, wiki. It is our classic rock, 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 rock. Watch me explode edition of the mic check minute. <laughs> so it's going to involve some classic rockness. And here it is this week's mic check minute. Oh, yeah. Here we are talking classic rock. Woo! California! Classic. I feel like I should have long hair for this episode. Like You have a wig. I can go get it if you want to wear it. I can put the wig we on. Put the yeah. wig on and be like, wow. Here we are. Ready to do some cocaine. Yeah. North Carolina. Oh. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Classic rock. <laughs> My eyes twitching. I think I got too excited. <laughs> yeah, your eyeball was like, are we a rock star now? <laughs> I got too excited. Sweet. <laughs> that was great. We should totally be classic rock DJs in the morning. I don't know about that. Yes, welcome to Wacky Mornings with Jason and Amanda. No. I could do that voice. You, just because you can. It doesn't mean you should. Doesn't mean you should. It is obnoxious, but that's how they sound. Yeah, I know. We sound better than that. I hope so. All right. Well, if you like the sound of us and you like what you heard, you can find us on the internet at carolinasnowflakes.com. Or if you want to find us on Facebook and get a little bit more intimate as these songs innuendize. <laughs> Facebook.com forward slash Carolina Snowflakes. And if you really want to get down in cyber and some email, you can email us at carolinasnowflakes at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.